Job chapter number 2 this evening. And I just want to read a few verses. Last week, we began preaching out of the book of Job, a little short three-part series, on this thought, what to do when you're under attack. And uh, last week, we examined the first thing that Job did when he was under attack. He rose up from his seat, and uh, he rent his clothes and his, uh, his mantle, and he shaved his head, and then he fell on the ground, and he worshiped the Lord. And, uh, you know, when you come under attack, when you believe as though uh, that Satan is persecuting your life, you say, what do I do, preacher? Well, the first thing you do is get close to the altar and get close to the house of God, get close to the Word of God, get close to the prayer closet. Don't run from it. So oftentimes we want to run from it. We want to say, oh, things are going bad. I'm just going to sit at home. I'm going to stay at home. There's no use. That's the worst thing that we could do. That's what Satan wants us to do. The best thing we can do is get as close to God as possible. In chapter number 2, we have a very interesting passage of Scripture. Now, uh, Job, when we left off in chapter 1, he still had his health, and his marriage was still doing pretty good. But when we come to chapter number 2, the hand of Satan goes out against both of those things. And Job does something very interesting that I believe we can get some help from tonight. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Let's read those last two verses again. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege once again to gather in your house, Lord. Thank you that though Satan would uh, prevent us from being in your house, though obstacles would find their way into our paths, though the flesh would seek to neglect the house of God, Lord, though a thousand things might move against us in the way that they moved against Job, Lord, help us now in these next few moments as we've gathered here to worship to hear Your Word preached, Lord, and to surrender our hearts and lives to the examination of it. I pray, Father, that He would not get the victory, but that You would get the victory. And, Lord, that You'd be much glorified in this service tonight. Father, we love You. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. And as we've read in chapter number 2 of the book of Job, I don't want us to forget the context that we are examining. We talked a little bit about it last week. I want to remind you of it again. I may remind you again next week that Satan had, uh, that Job had not just fallen upon hard times. Job was not just unfortunate. Job was not just having 
a streak of bad luck. But Job was most definitely under attack. One of the things that has always uh, profoundly uh, astounded me about this passage of Scripture and about this book is that you and I, we have the privilege of reading the first two chapters of the book of Job. We have the privilege of seeing heaven in the first two chapters. But Job did not have that privilege. You see, Job, if he ever knew anything about what happened, and I guess he did because it's recorded, and we believe Job probably wrote his own story, or at least the most of it. Job certainly, through the first 40-something chapters, did not know what had taken place in heaven. He had only to deal with that which was befallen upon his life. But you and I, we have the privilege of understanding that this wasn't just bad fortune, nor was it the judgment of God, but rather this was the attack of Satan in his life. And I want to say three things, remind you of them before we preach. Number one, I want to say this was a satanic attack. This was not just bad fortune. This was literally the agents of hell moving against Him. Peter exhorts us to be sober and to be vigilant concerning our adversary. He says, be sober, be vigilant, uh, that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, what does it mean to be sober and to be vigilant? I've given this illustration before. I don't know if it's a good one or a bad one, but it uh, sure rang true to me, so I give it just the same. Uh, but, you know, I didn't grow up in a house with alcohol. I didn't grow up in a drunkard's home. I praise God for that. And uh, so, you know, about all I knew of, uh, of what a drunkard was, I learned from Andy Griffith. Somebody say amen to that. You know, and I'd see Otis stumbling around on Andy Griffith. And uh, he'd be, you know, he, he just, he wouldn't be about himself. I, th- I always think about Andy saying about one loaded goat at a time is all we can handle, Otis, you know. But you'd always see him, and he'd be seeing pink elephants, and he wouldn't know what was going on. He wasn't about himself. He was not aware of the reality that was around him. Let me say that when God exhorts us to be sober, you know what he's saying? He's saying, wake up and recognize what's going on around you. There is a satanic war taking place around us. All of these things that you see, you turn on the TV. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you about Bible prophecy. I could. I believe that there are some important things going on today. But I'm not talking about Russia when I say this. And I'm not talking about Syria when I say this. I'm talking about when you turn on the TV and you see people robbing and killing each other. You see bloodshed everywhere that you turn. It seems like every time you turn on the TV, there's been another mass attack. You say, what's going on, preacher? That's satanic warfare. That's a battle for the souls of men. And it's taking place on a spiritual realm. That's no different in your life and mine. Don't think for one moment. Listen, the greatest testimony that could be given of you and I is that we're enough of a threat to Satan that he does attack us. And certainly Satan is interested in persecuting those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd say it's a satanic attack, but I want to remind you that it's a sovereign attack. This could not take place without God allowing it to take place. You know, I think sometimes when... When we feel as though we're under attack, sometimes when it seems as though everything is going wrong, sometimes when we can tell that hell has set out its army against us, we get the feeling like God's not on His throne anymore. But may I remind you that before Satan could ever touch Job, he had to ask God's permission first. A beautiful picture of that is found in the book of, of uh, 1 Peter where, where he says this, that if we'll uh, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
humble ourselves under the hand of God. You know what that means? That means anything falls on us has got to go through His hand first. Nothing that goes on in your life escapes the awareness of God, and nothing takes Him by surprise. This was a sovereign attack, but I want to remind you it was a spiritual attack. I say this often when I'm praying with people in the hospital, and I believe we need to be vigilant and be mindful of this, that with every physical ailment, there always is an accompanying spiritual attack. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to be sick. I'm not saying anything, uh, a, a judgment against someone that is sick, and you know me well enough to know that. What I'm saying is this, that every time you get down and you get sick, Satan always seeks to take advantage of. And uh, it doesn't matter what attack it is. I speak about sickness of the body, but I could speak about discord in the home. I could speak about rebellion in the hearts and lives of children. I could speak about discord in the church. I could speak about that unidentifiable unhappiness that so oftentimes grips hold of us. That's a spiritual attack. It's a spiritual warfare. I'm not, listen, I'm not opposed to medicine. People ask me sometimes, you opposed to medicine? No, most people I know need to be on more medicine, not less. I'm not opposed to those things. I know they help people. I believe God has given us medical science, and I believe it can be used to His glory. And I'm not minimizing or being critical of those things. But let me say that, that on the whole, this thing is a spiritual thing. And let me say that on the whole, Jesus can do a lot more for you than the doctors ever can. Now, I don't say we shouldn't take advantage of the doctors. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I'm not telling you to go refuse care. I'm merely telling you that there's another warfare and another attack that's taking place. We need to recognize that all these things in our life and all these things in our home, they're not happenstance. They're not by accident. This is a spiritual warfare that's taking place. You see, Job, he couldn't see that, but you and I, we can see that. He couldn't understand that in the time that he lived he didn't know what was going on in his life. But you and I, we've been blessed by Brother Job because we read his story and we understand that truth. And I believe it would help us to keep that in mind when we're under attack. Now, I want to give you three things and I'm going to hurry and hush. I want you to notice three thoughts about this picture before us. Now, the first thing Job does is he notices or he embraces the wisdom of worship. And he kneels down before God and he says, he praises the Lord's name, and he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think the first thing you ought to do is make up your mind that God's good no matter what. But then I want you to notice with me tonight the presence, or the purpose rather, of the potsherd. Now you and I, we don't do things like this today. We don't do it because we do have medical help and medical uh, utensils and things of that sort. We've got medicine, and uh, I, I praise the Lord for those things. But Job does something that I believe does have a cultural connotation, but it also has a medicinal and a sanitary connotation. Look again at verse number 8. The Bible says this, And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. Now, what is a potsherd? As you read in the Bible, you'll find very simply that a potsherd... Now, listen, this is deep. You ready? A potsherd is a shard of a pot. Now, that's deep, isn't it? It is a broken piece of pottery. Now, I want to ask you three questions, or I want you to notice three things with me tonight. And I want you to consider this. Why was the potsherd there? As you study through the Old Testament, you don't find a, an immense amount of references to potsherd. It's interesting that same word is often used just for clay pottery in general, but there are times it is denoted distinctly, not just as clay pottery, but as a piece of a broken pot that a person would use for this purpose. But why was it there? ready at hand where Job had it. Well, I want you to think about two things with me. I think there's two reasons 
that that potsherd would have been there. Now, I want to preface this by saying, I understand that Job probably lived before the law. But how many of you know that the Old Testament law is not wholly ceremonial? There is a moral and a societal aspect to the Old Testament law, and much of the Old Testament law is practical. You'll find as you study the Old Testament that the Bible was ahead of medical science a thousand years. I mean, long before folks ever knew anything about sanitation and germs, God had already put down in His Word that the leper, when he was uh, traveling, was to cry out unclean. He wasn't to travel uh, upwind of people. And he was to take precaution concerning the sanitation of uh, his disease. You see, God knew that before medical science ever knew that. And uh, so there is a practical reason for these. And I see two of them in the book of Leviticus. And the thing that astounds me as I read this, I know the book of Leviticus probably wasn't around when Job, uh, the book of Job takes place. But I do understand this, that these things have practical significance. And so I believe that there's a good chance Job might have been doing these long before the law ever commanded that they be done. There were two reasons in the Old Testament that a pot should might be found in the midst of the ashes. I want you to notice with me in Leviticus chapter 6. Now, you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. I just want to read one verse. This is the law of the sin offering in Leviticus chapter 6. And God is laying out the requirements for a sin offering to be given. It says in verse number 28, after they had taken the meat and had sodden it. You say, what does sodden mean? It means to boil it. It means to put it in a pot and heat it up. And they would cook the meat and the meat was to be consumed by the priest. They would then take that earthen vessel and it says, but the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken. And if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. Now, there's a medical reason and a sanitation reason that that's so. If it was a brazen pot, it could be scoured, meaning cleaned with hot water, and it could be rinsed, meaning cleaned with cold water, and it could sanitize it. But the porous earthen vessels that they used in that day could not be sanitized after they had been used. Now, how many of you ladies know? Well, you men too. How many of you know that you have to be careful when handling raw meats? I mean, you don't listen. You, you don't, you don't, if you've handled chicken before it's cooked, you don't handle it after it's cooked unless you wash your hands. And we take those precautions. Well, God had enough common sense to put that in His Word, but I believe men probably understood that long before. And so I'd say that one good reason that a broken pot might have been in the ashes that Job sat down in is because of the presentation of the offering that he had been given. Now, don't forget what it says back in chapter number 1. The Bible says in verse number 5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, speaking of his children, rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So one of the reasons would be the presentation of the offering. See, Job, he had been given sacrifices for his children. Now, Job wasn't a high priest, but if you study the Old Testament, you understand that before the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood was ever instituted, the oldest male in the family always acted as the high priest. Job very likely had been serving the function of the high priest for his children. When his children would go out and they'd party and they'd carry on and they'd uh, carouse around, Job would go and day by day he'd give offerings for those children. He would plead God to not judge them. He'd plead God on their behalf. I think probably there's a good chance it was there because of the presentation of the offering. But now look over in chapter 15 of the book of Leviticus. You say, when are you going to preach, preacher? Well, here in a second. Leviticus chapter 15, listen to what it says in verse number 12. Now, this is talking about a man that has boils in his body. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? Job is covered head to toe with boils all over his body. And listen to what it says. And the vessel of earth that he toucheth, which hath the issue, 
shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So everything that a man that had boils in his body and had an issue from his body, had a sickness about his body, everything that he touched, because it could infect someone else, if it was clay pottery and it could not be cleansed, they were to take that pottery and they were to break it and throw it away and use something new. Now, here's what I want to say to you about this first point. Why was Job sitting in these ashes? Well, I think there's two reasons he was sitting in the ashes. One is this, because there was a sickness on his body much as there's a sickness in this world. You know why there's suffering in this world? There's suffering in this world because sin is in this world. Now, I'm not saying tonight that if you're suffering, it's because you have sin in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. And the book of Job is a beautiful picture of the fact that a person suffers not always because there is sin in their life. Uh, we find that, that even after the first account, even after the first attack of Satan, you know what God said? God said, Job still holds fast his integrity. He still does not curse me. And he still looked at Job and said, He's a perfect man and upright, and he escheweth evil, and he feareth God. Job hadn't done anything wrong. But we live in a world that's wrong. Job hadn't done anything against God, but we live in a world that's against God. And Job didn't have any sin to speak of in his life. I'm not saying he was perfect, but the Bible says that he was perfect, meaning uh, meaning a mature man, and that he was upright, meaning that he was right before God. He's walking right before God, and he feared God, meaning that he loved and revered God, and he eschewed evil, meaning that he kept a good testimony. Job is a man that's living for God. Job is a man that's not done anything wrong, but Job is living in a broken world, the same as me and you are. You know why suffering comes to us. There can be a myriad of reasons in our lives individually. But basically the reason we have suffering is because we have sin. This world is sin-fallen. This world is sin-sick. And the reason that we suffer, whether we have sin in our lives or not, the reason that suffering is, is a universal experience of human beings is because we live in a sinful world. People will often say this, well, if God's so sovereign, if He's so in control, then why does He allow suffering in this world? Let me tell you something, neighbor. Uh, he may allow it because He does not uh, impose upon a man's free will, but certainly God is not desirous that we should suffer. God gets no uh, sadistic joy out of our suffering. When God left this world alone, He left it in perfect condition. It was man and man's sin that spiraled it into depravity. So we notice the presence of the potsherd. Uh, one of the reasons is because he lived in a broken world. Then number two, I want you to notice that part of the reason it might have been there is because he's serving God in the first place. Certainly these pieces could have represented the things that his sick, sin-sick body had touched, but they might also represent the remnant of what was left over from him trying to minister on the behalf of his kids. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons that the world in general suffers is because we're sin-sick. But let me tell you something. The reason that you and I as believers experience in a keen way the suffering of this world is because we're not of this world. And as we seek to serve God, it brings the reproach of Christ on I heard a quote today that stuck with me, said this, If we were not strangers in this world, the hounds of hell wouldn't howl against us. Let me tell you something. The fact that we're in this world but not of this world is the reason this world hates us. What was it that, that brought... Job to Satan's attention. Listen now, it wasn't Satan that found Job. It was God that pointed Job out. And why did he do it? He didn't do it because Job was a bad man. He didn't do it because Job had turned his back on God. He didn't do it because Job had sin in his life. No, uh, the God of all glory pointed at Job and said, Job is an upright man. The very fact that he was serving God was what had brought this calamity upon him. 
Let me tell you something. You, uh, and you see it all the time. You see a person get born again, get in church, try to live right, and all of a sudden things start to fall apart. Uh, did you ever think that maybe, listen now, the reason that you're under attack is not because you give up on God, it's because you hadn't give up on God. You ever stop to think about the fact that you're under attack, not because you're doing everything wrong, but because you're doing something right. See, Job was living for God, and it brought a satanic attack against him. I want you to notice not only the presence of the potsherd, but why did he grab hold of it? I want you to notice the purifying of the potsherd. Now, there's a very practical reason that Job took this potsherd. The Bible said to scrape himself with all. Now, what was he doing? as he's covered from head to toe with these boils, and he had no one to care for him. No doubt the, the, the putrid stench was unbearable. No doubt, uh, no doubt the fear uh, of the contagiousness of those boils uh, scared people away. Uh, no doubt just the appearance of Job as he lays there, a pitiful and wretched creature, had caused everyone to flee away from him. And Job doesn't have anyone around him. So he grabs a potsherd and begins to tend to his own wounds. You know, I, I see the reason, and I'm just going to try to be as plain as I can. I see the reason for Job's suffering. He lived in a sin-sick world, and he's serving God in that world. Uh, but I, I want you to notice what God did with that suffering. Notice two things that he would have used that potsherd for. I want you to notice, first off, the potsherd was to expose the wound. Now, some of you, if you, you, ever, you remember when your kids were little and, and they'd get a scab and they'd pick at it? Remember that? I still do that. My wife fusses at me. She says, you're going to make it bleed. I say, no, I won't. And I always do. <laughs> but the purpose of this potsherd was he was trying to expose these wounds to allow the air to circulate to them, to allow them what we might call to breathe. Let me say that a lot of times suffering in our lives, you know what it does? It exposes some things that need to be gone from our lives. I know Job wasn't living in sin. I don't think anyone would say Job's living in sin. God said he wasn't living in sin. But I also can't believe that Job is always the brightest shining light for a testimony of the love of Jehovah God in the book of Job. You come to places where Job almost borderlines on pride. You come to places where Job, rather than saying, though God is doing this to me, He's been better to me than I deserve. You come to places where Job is saying, I don't deserve this, and this isn't right for this to happen to me. Certainly, suffering and trial and calamity. You know what it does? It puts us under pressure and exposes us for what we are. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes there's some ugly things in my spirit and in my life. And sometimes suffering will bring those things to the place where they can be dealt with and can be seen. Very simply, you know what it caused Job to do? He took inventory of himself. I'm sure as he sat there by himself and he took that potsherd, when the Bible says with all, you know what that means? It means everywhere. There wasn't a place on Job's body that he didn't take that potsherd and scrape it across and expose that wound. No doubt it caused a time of self-examination in his life. As he looked all over his body and began to examine how broken he really is. You know, sometimes what suffering does, it makes us look at our life and take inventory. It makes us realize our frailty and our feebleness. And it makes us recognize our inability to take care of ourselves. I would say that it was there to expose the wound, but I'd say also it was there to excavate the wound. Now, I'm not going to be graphic, but you understand that in those boils, there's probably infection that had to be gotten out. And there's no better way to get it out, well, no other way to get it out, than to take that potsherd and dig it out. He took that, that piece of his broken life. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? 
There, there's Listen, there, there's two levels. Either you've checked out and you're not getting it or you're really with me right now. You understand this is a piece of his broken life. I don't know what that piece of pottery... Maybe it was a piece that he had used to sodden the meat. Maybe it was a piece of heirloom vessel that had been passed down. But no doubt as he looked at that piece, there were memories associated with it. Now with the broken piece of his, uh, pieces of his life, he's taking and he's getting the infection, the death, the sickness out. You know, a lot of times when we come under suffering, you know what it does? It makes us not only look at our lives, but it makes us purify our lives. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of stuff in our life that I guess we can live with, but we'd live a lot better without. There's a lot of things in our life that we could probably live with. They probably won't shipwreck us, but we'd probably do a lot better without. It's the grace of God that God deals with us. God doesn't have to deal with you and me. You understand that? It's the grace of God that He deals with us. Let me tell you something. If God convicts you tonight, that's grace. That's grace. The worst thing God could do is just leave us unto Himself. You know what God's final pronunciation of judgment was on backslidden Israel? You know what He said? He said, Ephraim is given to idols. Let them alone. Just leave them alone. That was the final death knell upon the nation of Israel. You know what He said? He said to them, I came against you as a lion and I came against you as a moth that corrupts. And finally He said, I will go. And the fact that God might convict you or might convict me, the fact that the God of heaven would reach down and scrape open the sore of sin sickness in my life and point something out with His divine finger and say, All right, son, get it out. It's contagious. It's polluting. It's destroying you. That's the grace of God in my life. I don't deserve that. If I'd been dealing with me, I would have wrote me off a long time ago. If I'd been dealing with me, I would have said, He's too, too far gone long ago. But God loves us enough to give us some potsherds to scrape our lives with, some suffering, some trials, some difficulty, some things that we didn't plan for, but some things that we couldn't have planned for that God uses to His glory. Finally, I want you to notice what the potsherd pictures. I'd say, first off, it pictures a life in pieces. There's no doubt about that. Job's not where he wants to be. Nobody would desire to sit down in the ashes with the broken pieces of his life and tend to the boils that are covering head to foot. This isn't what Job planned for. I'm not going to tell you everything's all right with Job right here because everything's not all right with Job. Job wouldn't tell you that. Let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you everything's all right. I, I fear that so oftentimes, so much preaching... Listen, and this is going to sound funny, but I want you to really listen and hear it. So much preaching gets so far into heaven that it forgets we ain't there yet. Gets so far into heaven that it forgets that you and I, we're not there yet. We're still living on this earth. We're still experiencing suffering. We're still experiencing trials. Job's not in a good place, but he's not so far gone that God don't know where he's at. We see a life in pieces. It's interesting to me, this idea of an earthen vessel. Now, there are vessels talked about, and I believe it's the book of of Second Timothy, but one of, the, one of the only passages in the New Testament that talks about vessels is it says this in Second Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know what that's describing? It's describing our bodies. And it's talking about our life, and it's talking about our existence. 
And it's talking about the gospel and eternal life. And it says that God has taken this precious and beautiful treasure and He's wrapped it in the earthen vessels that is our fragility and is our life. Well, Job's now broken to pieces. Things aren't going well, but what does it cause in his life. Well, Job's going to spend the next 30-something chapters. You know what he's going to spend the next 30-something chapters doing? He's going to spend the next 30-something chapters looking at Job and trying to figure out what went wrong. Let me tell you something. We, we like, when we study the book of Job, you're, you're probably like me. You know what you like to do? You like to read the first two chapters. And then you like to skip down where he talks about his Redeemer living. You like to skip down where he talks about that God knoweth the way that I take and I'll come forth as gold. And then you like to skip over to the last chapter and read how God delivered Job. But I'd propose to you that God has His proportions right. And I'd propose to you that, listen now, the confusion that Job experienced probably did a lot for him, more for him than the deliverance that he enjoyed. God spends 30-something chapters letting us watch the suffering of a man. Why? Because God was working. In the midst of His silence, God was working. In the midst of the broken pieces, God was working. In the midst of the darkness, God was working. In the midst of the confusion, God was working in Job's life. And though his life may be in pieces, I think we also see a life in perspective. Because Job begins to learn some things about himself and about God You know what he begins to learn about God? He begins to learn about God how little he had truly known about God before. You know what oftentimes we find in the midst of suffering? We find out this, that God is a lot bigger than we ever realized He was in the first place. And sometimes God does some things that we don't expect God to do. And sometimes God does some things that we can't figure out. Job spends 30 chapters trying to cope with that, trying to deal with that. But at the end of the day, he comes forth, like he says, as gold. You say, preacher, boil it down. What are you trying to tell me? I'm telling you this. If you're under attack, if you're under attack, don't waste the attack. Because God is doing something in your life. Let it be a time of self-examination. I'm not saying that you need to beat yourself over the head, but I'm saying this, just as Job took that broken piece of his life and went from head to toe uncovering wounds and boils... Allow the Word of God and the suffering of your experiences to drive you to self-examination as you go over your life and you say, where is there a boil? Where is there a sickness? Where is there an infection that I might get it out and find myself clean before God? 